0: Week three, today's episode of the Ryan Russillo Podcast and the Ringer Podcast Network. Our presenting sponsor, State Farm. Getting great car and home insurance from State Farm at a surprisingly great rate. That's like drafting a player that becomes an all-pro the real deal. State Farm agents provide personalized service so you can customize your insurance to fit your needs like a GM putting together their very own roster. You need a team that supports you, and State Farm's got a great one. In addition to agents, the award-winning mobile app helps manage coverage, pay bills, file claims, and more. With a great price and even greater service, State Farm goes from strength to strength. Choose insurance that always brings its A game. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Kyle, just a wellness check on you. Where are you at? Doing great. Another Patriots win. That's really all there is. It was a ten. Do you eight, already eight, 10 like o'clock. Cam Newton? So it. Oh, do do you, yeah. No, I mean, do you already like him more than Tom Brady? Ah, that's rank that's these tough. patriots garoppolo brady and cam newton because you're a big jimmy g guy there I, yeah um i think i think cam's past. he's past garoppolo for sure but um i don't know it's like 20 twenty twenty years really when i started paying attention it was tom brady's like first year so it's hard to say man it sounds dirty to say okay the other reason i was thinking about you is i was watching um a little bar rescue and they took it out on the road a little bit of a road show you know i have some issues with some of the flaws i think that they have in bar rescue where the stress test is just bullshit because you know it's no bar would ever say like (laughs) (laughs) well no it's just well that's that's one way some would agree with you I, i just think that it's unfair to ask your servers to handle everyone ordering a drink at the exact same time and then everybody's like oh my god i can't believe they can't keep up they're like what's going on with these orders who's 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 getting the food out And they're hey, making have them you dump been waiting their for drinks. a drink <laughs> yeah right, they're making right. them
1: dump their drinks because it's not perfect
0: it's like it's a go over, like three girls that were at you know at Talbot's outside and be like hey do you want to be in a tv show for four minutes be like <laughs> yeah I'm like all right we're gonna get you here's two tokens for Cosmos and they'll just say like have you did you order how long have you been waiting 20 minutes oh my god she's been waiting 20 minutes all right so uh <laughs> there's there's a predictability although shout out to my man Phil Wills who's one of the resident mixologist uh he's a guy from way back in my burlington days oh, who's wow. on the show now yeah it's crazy amazing guy great guy and uh they were at the bacardi casa i believe the home for bacardi so immediately i'm like man they're at hq right there the bacardi house mixing away and this is amazing so shout out to them uh, anyway, this episode is brought to you by Bacardi Spice Rum. Spice up your game day this weekend with a delicious Bacardi Spice Dark and Stormy. A refreshing take on a classic. Just mix up Bacardi Spice Rum with a ginger beer, lime, and enjoy. Easy to make, delicious, and will elevate your game day. Make them for yourself and make them for your friends because you know they'll ask for one anyway. Toast to your favorite team and toast to this brand new Spiced Rum. Yeah, I mean, they were doing all sorts of stuff at the Bacardi House. Everybody's loving it. They were going with some of the old school, just straight up daiquiris, but like not the, not the crazy ones, just you know the classics. But uh, you know, look, dark and stormy, very classic. Sailors like it. Sailors been around forever. Sailing's one of the oldest hobbies. Uh, Bacardi, do what moves you. Drink responsibly. Bacardi USA, Coral Gables, Florida, rum with natural flavors and spices, 35% alcohol by volume. The plan for today, uh, we have a good plan. We'll finish with life advice. I'll probably do some Celtics heat wrap stuff there at the end. And I'm not shocked, really, that Miami won the series. Bill and I actually both picked Miami. But then as it was playing out, I was kind of like, wait, Boston should be winning more of these games. Because they just weren't. And then what we saw in game six is kind of what Boston's deal was this entire series. It's just a mess. Just a mess late. Miami's better, tougher. That's the thing. It's like, man, those guys are just tougher than you are. They're smarter than you at the end of games. And I don't really know that you could debate it any other way. So we'll get to that coaching stuff in a little bit later. Uh, Bill's going to join me this week when the finals start on this podcast. So that's kind of how it works. It's really um, depending on how it plays out. So Booger McFarland from ESPN. We're going to talk some football with him. Also, big LSU loss at home. Mississippi State getting leached at home and Costello for Mississippi State throwing for six hundred plus yards. It's almost like, hey LSU missing all the guys from last year, is that going to be a problem? Like, no, nah, it'd be fine. They'll be fine. Like, nope, nope. it's not fine. Losing everyone is not fine, and so they lose. So we'll talk probably a little college ball with Booger as well. But we start this week, as we will throughout the season, with our NFL awards. Hut hut. Huh. Okay, the Don Draper Award for branding. It's your job. I give you money. You give me ideas. You never say thank you. That's what the money is for. You're young. You will get your recognition. Goes to Russell Wilson's MVP campaign. Remember what Don Draper said in Mad Men. If you don't like what's being said, change the conversation. Well, this started in May. And it kind of started with some awareness. And I actually do not blame Russell Wilson for campaigning for this, because Russ, if he is anything publicly, he's over the top, humble and deferential to the point where it's actually more annoying than just being straight up humble. But he was on a radio station in Seattle and he was like, come on, no votes at all. And it wasn't it wasn't. um, And by the way, Russ is so good that he should be allowed at times not be humble. Okay. That, that to me, like if you're, if you're deserving of it, it's okay to not be humble in some certain moments, but he had no votes there. Um, Then people started saying it's really weird that he had no first place votes. And if you dig into it, it actually isn't weird. If you go by every quarterback that's won the last few years, you're basically saying, hey, you should have voted for the wrong guy one of these last four or five years. Um, And then Chris Collinsworth, it really picked up uh, steam before the season. And Collinsworth took it to another level in the Sunday night broadcast of week two. And that Pats game where he said, hey, it's my fault. I actually had voted for him. I didn't get the ballot in on time. So now everything is about momentum for Russell Wilson and him winning his first MVP or the at least getting a first place vote the Vegas odds where he was behind a handful of other quarterbacks uh, the Vegas odds actually have him as the favorite now and the stats are incredible and yes he may be the guy. Um, he's deserving of it three games in. I mean, who cares? The pass defense is atrocious now. Um, It's gotten even worse in this past win against Dallas where they were up and then had to hang on because that defense is so bad. And that's a defense that with Jamal Adams wasn't very good against the pass. And then he's out of the game, running up and down on the sidelines. By the way, one of the guys that was ahead of Russ in the MVP odds out of Vegas, that's Dak Prescott, who continues to be this artsy movie that I'm I'm afraid to say, like, is it not any good? Like, what? That's that's like the best. I mean, look, I love Inception. I always reference Inception all the time, but there's people that try to argue like it isn't that good. And you're like, well, did you not get it? I feel like every time I look at Dak, look, Dak is good. Dak's raw numbers. We know how productive he's been. So let's pick it up where Dak is trying to get this game back. They went up 31-30, and then here we are in Seattle, uh, Seattle goes up 38-31, and Dak starts moving the football. But there's some specific plays in here that point to my struggling with Dak. Again, to phrase it again, I think Dak's really good. Probably the quarterback there for 10 years. I think we've made way too much out of this contract. He clearly wants more than the Cowboys wanted to offer, but the Cowboys' offer was still really strong. And if he wants to wait it out and get to like $40 million annually. That's fine and more guarantees because that's probably what he's going to end up getting, even though I'm not quite sure how the new cap is going to work out. But whatever the cap ends up going down from the pandemic, it's going to go up because of the new TV deal. So there you go. Quick little history revision. So, um, Dak at first in 10 at the Seattle 22, there's 22, uh, 26 seconds left, uh, before the snap of the football. Okay. So they just got in the second and seven, first down, um, and Dak got it to Wilson, who, by the way, just the, the weapons here for Dallas, like I still think even though they're one and two and that division is so bad, that was something else I started thinking about. I was like, is Dallas, if they tie this up at 30 or they get to thirty eight? 37 would they go for two and say hey screw it let's just try to win the game because their division's so bad it's just something I thought about but it never mattered because this is what happened Dak on first and 10 Seattle 22 one timeout left I'm thinking the only thing they can't do is throw it to the middle of the field and have somebody get tackled and that's exactly what he did when he tried to hit Wilson again and then even Aikman on the calls like that's actually better that was incomplete okay and then the next thing you can't do is get sacked and then he got sacked And, you know, it was a three-man rush. The right side of his line got blown up. It was actually terrible blocking. But still, you can't take that sack. So then they have to take the timeout. Then third and 14. So now you have two plays at it. You're at the Seattle 26. And then he throws a pick. And it was amazing he was able to stay up and even get that throw off. But it was even worse. That in itself may be why Dak, you know, the one possession game records can be misleading. His one possession record is really, really bad. um, But it was just something I was looking at. All right. So now back to Russ and back to branding because. As it stands, like I said, right now, he is your MVP. But let's just see what this Mahomes guy is all about for a full season. I wouldn't exactly write off Lamar anytime soon. Aaron Rodgers is absolutely on fire. We'll get to him a little bit later. And believe it or not, and this sounds insane to sound out, say it out loud, and it wouldn't be my pick to be MVP, but Josh Allen is doing some things up in Buffalo. So remember branding, because branding is a big reason why the Russell Wilson campaign has taken off. Part of it is him, part of it is this year, but it's also the awareness of the brand. Just like LeBron earlier on, in his career when it was like, wait, is he any good at defense? And then he would come back one summer, tell a bunch of reporters, all I've been doing is working on my defense, which no one works on, by the way, in the offseason. And he's like, I'm so much better defensively. Now, LeBron did get better defensively, but our awareness, the fact that he was pushing the branding of his defense was the reason people started paying a little bit more attention. It's the reason why we don't, make any more big 10 pack 12, big 12 jokes anymore. I don't know why we make any pack 12 ones other than it was just the playoff in general, but we don't make those jokes because at first it was funny. And then it's like, yeah, we've just accepted the brand. And the all time branding of me just holding off was M. early on. I don't know what to do with them because I'd look around and be like, do I have to buy a Prius and put some sort of exhaust? sound diffuser on here do i have to start trying to get in fights during the day with parking attendants? do i have to smart start smoking cigarettes non-stop if i want to be an eminem fan so the brand part of that i was like look i'm out hut <laughs> hut next award it's not you it's me award you're giving me the it's not you it's me routine <laughs> i invented it's not you it's me <laughs> nobody tells me it's them not me if it's anybody it's me all right George, it's you. You're damn right it's me. (laughs) This week, that award's going to go to Kyle Shanahan. Just real quick, San Francisco going into their game against the Giants this week. Did you guys see the injury report? Okay, um, this is from one of the reporters, so there could have been something that was a little off. But out for the day, D. Ford, Garoppolo, Drake Greenlaw... George Kittle, Raheem Mostert, the short-term IR, Tevin Coleman, Richie James, Debo Samuel, Richard Sherman, uh, long-term IR, Nick Bosa, Jalen Hurts, Solomon Thomas. They also lost Reed, the tight end, who Washington fans were going, hey, that guy, he's awesome. We thought he was awesome and he could never stay healthy. Um, Yes, there you go. But let's examine the it's not you, it's me and what that actually means. Because Kyle Shanahan, I don't think, really thinks it's ever anyone else other than him. And Nick Mullins steps in 25 of 36, 343 yards and a touchdown. And you're saying, okay, great, 36-9 over the Giants, they're terrible. But this was basically the Santa Cruz Warriors playing out there for San Francisco. I'm not trying to do the Jimmy thing where all of a sudden I'm telling you he's gone because I probably probably isn't gone. But the contract lines up that they could move on from him very easily financially. It even lined up there that this way. But if guys like Nick Mullins keep putting up big numbers, especially considering this roster that I love, was this hurt? I don't know, man. I and I'd only heard from people that would know that like Shanahan just kind of looks at the quarterback position as, yeah, there's a few guys that are special, but I can probably find a way to get it done with a bunch of different names out there. And as of right now, Garoppolo still feels like just one of those names. And by the way, New York City, this is going to be a rough football year for you because you have to understand no one really cares or let me say it differently no one's ever going to root for new york city that's not somehow affiliated with new york city okay you've done a you've had a really good run here for like 300 years so no one is ever going to go hey people are being unfair to new york city the giants part of this gettelman no one's ever going to stick up for him because nobody likes the attitude and the roster doesn't seem very good but daniel jones is still a little too early for everybody to just start writing him off the other side of the street though with gates this is a disaster i mean adam gates let's look at some of these offensive ranks Last in yards per game this year, last last year, 31st with the Dolphins, 25th and then 28th. Those are five seasons. Adam Gase in his Peyton Manning year is like giving Gilbert Godfrey an Oscar because he roomed with Robert De Niro. This doesn't make any sense. And on top of the face confirmation that we get with Gase, who looks like a guy who went to a fish show saying, I just thought it was a normal balloon. I don't know. He's awful. Okay. But it isn't on Joe Douglas. So whenever you're taking down the entire Giants or Jets organization, the Jets part that is a little unfair is to say that Joe Douglas, like not enough of this stuff has worked out. Can we give a guy a couple years as the man that's in charge of putting together an entire roster? Um, I'd like to do that. I'd like to give Joe Douglas a little bit more time. But we also understand when it's Gase out there, who's gotten all this credit, has done nothing to back it up, their average drive. Since all right, listen to this stat I found. Since Gates took over as the Jets head coach, their average offensive drive is 23 yards. Every time the Jets have the football for all these years, their drive averages are 23 yards. That, of course, is the worst in football. And they also blame Tannehill when he was down in Miami. And Tannehill at least looks more than serviceable. Hut hut. The M Night Shyamalan Award. I want to tell you my secret. That goes to Carson Wentz um, because there's part of me that just goes, wait, are any of these movies or any of the other ones any good? Carson Wentz is 2017. He's probably going to win MVP. Um, That was also a very strong Russell Wilson year, but then uh, I believe Brady ended up getting it that year. Okay, in last year's injuries, as Chris Long and I spent, it felt like every single episode starting with the Eagles and starting with Wentz and what the deal was, and Chris was very pro-Carson Wentz. And I really think to try to beat up on Wentz when nobody was there in the skill position stuff by the end of the season, like it was just a disaster. So it didn't feel like a very fair critique. However, he is awful right now. If Wentz were Mitch, he'd already be benched like Mitch was for Nick Foles. If Wentz didn't have 2017, then he wouldn't have a job, I don't believe, right now. And I'm not usually that guy. And I don't think it's the carryover necessarily from last year, but I watched it. And I watched a good chunk of that Cincinnati game. We're talking about somebody who is now last in QB rating. His QBR is behind or ahead of only two guys, and that's Sam Darnold, who no one likes anymore. And Dwayne Haskins of Washington still too early. The Jalen Hurts part where it's like, oh, he's in and that blew up on Twitter. He ran it to the left for one snap and then Wentz was back in there. I'm not sure that that's necessarily something Eagles fans actually want. I think Hurts is going to take a little bit more time to develop in reading the entire field. Um, That's why I think not only the spectacular talent of Tua, but I also think it was part of the limitations of Hurts why Alabama said, okay, we actually may need to make some kind of change here. And the second half stuff for Wentz is just bad. I mean, it's bad across the board. Now, Doug Peterson, I think people are getting frustrated with him because he's not giving in to the mob, which I'm fine with. You can't bench everyone. You can't fire every single coach every single week. But this Wentz stuff is getting to the point where, thank God for 2017. Thank God for his six cent season. Because if it weren't that, I don't even know what the debate would be anymore. It's been that bad, especially in some of the second halves. And just a side note, I get why they punted. I know it seems lame. You could just sit there and be a football guy and um, open beer bottles with your teeth and say, you can't punt for a tie. You can't punt for a tie. If you go for it from 64 yards out and it's blocked, forget it. If you go for it and you just miss it, which you're likely to miss it at 64 yards, there's so many other bad things that could happen where, let's face it, you guys would be crushing them if it didn't work out. Uh All right, and finally, the Matty D Award. It's not your fault. Don't fuck them. Not your fault. Don't fuck with me, all right? Don't fuck with me,
1: Sean. Not you. It's not your fault.
0: <laughs> the Matty D award goes to Drew Brees. Wait, Ryan, you're pro Drew Brees? Here's what I'm not I'm not as anti Drew Brees as everybody else is. And I understand that the throws that aren't going down the field are alarming. Okay? All right. You've got me there. The next gen stats from the game last night against the Packers. I think there's only one throw that's air yards down the field at 20 yards. There's a couple other that, I mean, there's only three, I think, that travel in the air over 15 yards. And this has been a trend that's been going on for a while. But the one thing that I didn't understand was the first two weeks in, people were knocking Breeze for his completion percentage because he just completes every single pass. And yes, because some of those passes are a little bit shorter. Well, he went 29 to 36 last night, 288 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, six touchdowns, only one pick on the season. Aaron Rodgers, on the other hand, is at another level. I'm going to give you one Packers stat here you probably didn't know about. Um, Teams that have now started the season with 35 points or more and zero turnovers in each of their first three games this season, it's only the Packers. And without Devontae Adams, still these weapons. So Breeze doesn't have Thomas. But ultimately, the Saints defense that I thought was going to be pretty good that we felt really good about the personnel. Uh, they have allowed 24, 34, and 37 points. And maybe, just maybe, playing Tampa, who's going to be good, is a good win. Maybe Las Vegas is good. Uh, people were kind of going with that, at least in the first half against New England, to get blown out in the second half against New England, not the end of the world. And they played Green Bay. There's a chance we'd look back in two months and go, what a tough start to the entire season that was, all depending on those teams' health. So, yes, Breeze doesn't throw it down the field enough. Yes. I know he's getting older. Yes, the completion percentage was off the last, or excuse me, the first two weeks, but it certainly wasn't a week three. But the Saints aren't losing because of Drew Brees right now. And that's why he gets the Matty D award. Okay, before we get to Booger McFarland, guys, I want to remind you that footlong season is at Subway. They make it easy to make a good call on food. So there's a little segment called Bad Call, Good Call, where we'll look at some of the good and bad plays from the last week. Here it is. First example of a bad call, the P.I., on the Rams. Um, I just don't think that's pass interference, but it led to the Bills holding off a legendary comeback from the Rams. Good call would be... I think it was good of Peterson to punt. I don't think going for 64-yard field goals, just because you could sit there and say, who wants to play for a tie? Well, you know what you don't want to do is miss a 64-yard field goal and then let them have one play where they're now in field goal range. So you also don't want to lose, which I think is part of it. And then I'll make a, a call on my own. Another bad call is I ordered some takeout and it was, um, it was just too early. And then by the time I got there, I ate early, whole meals were off and then it was late. And then I had, I was just Scrambling, trying to figure it out. So not exactly my great decision to wait that long to try to figure out what I could make for dinner at home. Should have just gone to Subway. So this week, why not make a good call instead, like a Black Forest ham sandwich from Subway. Another good call. Getting a free footlong when you buy two at participating Subway restaurants. All right, guys, let's make some good calls this week. Order contact-free in the app for quick and easy pickup on game day or any day, or get contact-free delivery. It's footlong season at Subway. Eat fresh, freshly prepared in front of you. He is my friend. Uh, he's a guy I've known at ESPN for a long time and now co-host of NFL Primetime with Chris Berman. It is Booger McFarland. What's up, man? What's going on,
1: Russo? How you doing, buddy?
0: I'm good. I'm good. All right. So let's just get to it. Early on, the Russell Wilson story has has been the story. Uh, there's, there's a few different things. We know that the defense, but what have you seen from his, his play? Is it really that different or are they just that much more desperate now because the defense is even worse than it was last year?
1: Well, typically back in the day, it would be let's run Chris Carson, let's run Penny up the middle, let's play it close to the vest, let's play to our defense, and and then at the very end of the game when Russell has to, Russell can do what Russell does, which is the hashtag Let Russ Cook. Well, you know, Russ kind of uh, publicly lauded, hey, why don't we do some of that stuff we do at the end end of the game early in the game? And I think when you couple that with the fact that their defense is not as strong, they lost Clowney, the pass rush isn't there, uh, overall, the defense is not as good as when they had Sherman and Thomas and all those guys, and so I think out of necessity they've had to let Russ cook early. Meaning, we got to get the ball to Lockett and Metcalf. We got Greg Olson, so let's open the offense up. We don't have to be Kansas City. We don't have to be the Rams, but guess what? We also don't have to run the football, you know, forty-five times a game either. And I so I think it's just a it, it's a, a combination of all those things, solo and and Russ to his credit, he asked for it. And he's he's playing really, really well.
0: Yeah. What is going on with that defense, though? Because this is surprising that it's this bad. And it's something I've been kind of looking at here a little bit. But their passing defense overall. I mean, is it just the opponent? I mean, that, that's something that can happen in the first month or so that can be very misleading. But they're getting absolutely worked back there.
1: So here's what I look at when I look at defense. Like defense is about dudes, okay? Uh, Scheme, don't talk to me about scheme. Bill Belichick has played 4-3, 3-4, higher, but it doesn't matter. Defense is about dudes. Like do you have the dudes that can make impact plays that can beat one-on-one blocking? And when you look at the Seahawks, like who are the dudes they got? I, I mean, you know, Clowney's gone. I hear Bobby Wagner, K.J. Wright, still very good linebackers. Uh, Wagner is is borderline uh, Hall of Fame worthy. Great. In the secondary, who are the impact guys, though? Yes, Adams is a true impact player, and he's made an impact at safety. Cornerback Griffin is okay. So so you're really not talking about the impact people you need in that front seven, especially on the defensive line. If you don't have guys that can impact the game and win one-on-one blocks on your defensive line, now you're asking the the impact to come from uh, safeties blitzing, linebackers blitzing. And K, uh, K.J. Wright and Wagner, for as good as they are, they're tackling machines. They're not going to make the tackles for losses, the sacks, the forced fumbles. And so I, I think the defense is really missing some dudes up front.
0: Aaron Rodgers, Ben tear. we know the talk has been about some declining numbers, which are real. I mean, there were some real declining numbers. Have you seen anything different from him? Or is it just as is, is my, you know, a guy we both know in Dilfer, who at the beginning of the year was like, now he's just more pissed off than he's ever been.
1: Well, I'm, I'm really not a numbers guy. Like, to me, stats are like bikinis. They show some things, but not all things. So so you can be a numbers guy, and you can fall victim to the numbers, and you're like, oh, those numbers are down. He must be going down. Well, in actuality, if you look at what Aaron Rodgers did last year, um, his quote-unquote numbers were really good. He just didn't have enough weapons, which is why the big cry in the offseason was, okay, can we get the guy some weapons while he's trying to break in Marcus Valdez-Scantling and Lazard? Like, he needs other people, and they were just coming up to speed. As you can see this year, another year in the system, another year for Aaron Rodgers to be under Matt LaFleur, and it's amazing how those guys are starting to play better. Aaron Rodgers has never been in decline. He's been a top-five quarterback. I don't care what the statistics say. He's been a top-five quarterback for the last decade. And anybody who tells you different really just hadn't watched the game and hadn't paid attention to what they see.
0: Wow. All right. So you didn't think there was any drop off the last couple of years, the, some of the throws outside of the numbers, any of that stuff. You just, you think it was just personnel?
1: When you look at the personnel that he was playing with, a quarterback, and, and I don't mean to bring this up. Giselle said it a long time ago Hey, Tommy can't <laughs> throw it and catch it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like Tommy can only throw it. He can't go catch it. And so I, I think you have to apply that to a lot of the quarterbacks around the league. And I, I think when you look at A Rod, first year under Matt LaFleur, well, Matt LaFleur came from the Sean McVay School of, of, of Coaching, which is it's about that outside zone stretch play. It's about play action. It's about the quarterback cutting the field in half. That system was designed to help quarterbacks that were, that were not as talented as Aaron Rodgers, i.e. Kirk Cousins in Washington, i.e. Jared Goff. I'm going to take a system. I'm going to cut the field in half. and I'm going to help you by limiting your reads. Aaron Rodgers can make full field reads. So now you got to blend what Matt LaFleur likes to do with what Aaron Rodgers wants to do. And I think just, you know, that couple with um, new receivers, Devontae Adams was hurt a little bit with the groin. So you put all that together, sure, the numbers were down. But did anybody honestly think that, okay, I'll give you Aaron Rodgers for the next five years or you can have Jameis Winston for the next 10? Like, who's taking Jameis? Like, nobody. Nobody. like, Like, I don't care how young... Uh, Jameis is you're still taking Aaron Rodgers because you know the talent is still there
0: okay so the numbers tell us Wentz is a mess uh do you believe in the numbers
1: I believe in my eye like as you watch the tape Carson Wentz is trying to prove that he is something that uh, maybe what he was when before he tore his ACL like before he tore his ACL man, man he was He was a risk taker. He was daring. He was making throws like he was just playing football. It's like he's thinking now. And as he's thinking, he's trying to be perfect. And football is an imperfect sport. Quarterback is a position where you have to react once the ball is is snapped. You got to do all your thinking pre-snap. But once the ball is snapped, you just react to what you see. And it's like he's thinking pre-snap and then he's thinking more post-snap. He's just playing really, really bad right now. And if Nick Foles were still in uh, Philadelphia, there would there would be cries to put Nick Foles in. Now you're not going to get those cries for Jalen Hurts because I don't think Hurts is ready to be a starting quarterback. And so therefore, Doug has just got to sit there and say, okay, yeah, just kind of kind of got to go through it. Plus, when you when, when you when you're paying a guy thirty three million dollars a year, you kind of got to live with it. But he's playing bad football, no doubt.
0: What's the worst quarterback situation that you were a part of? As far as like I'm not telling you to call out a teammate necessarily, but oh, something we're weak to week. Of you don't
1: have to tell me that. I'm I am I'm, i I'm gonna tell you that my rookie year, my rookie year, the very first game that I played, uh, and you've already mentioned the aforementioned Trent Dilfer. Trent Dilfer in Tampa was a ticking time bomb because he was a high pick, he turned the football over a lot, and people just wanted to see anyone else because our defense was so good. Everybody felt if Trent would just not turn it over. And just not lose the game, we could have won another Super Bowl or two. My very first game in Tampa, dude, uh, we're playing the Giants. My defense held the Giants to four first downs, 108 total yards of offense, and we lost. We lost because Dilford threw a pick six. Dilford fumbled for another scoop and score. He threw an interception that led to a field goal. Henceforth, we lost 17 to 13, I think, 17, 14. That was my indoctrination into the NFL. And I think that situation was so toxic, finally Trent just got tired of dealing with everything that came with it. And it it, it was best that both parties kind of went their separate ways. And Tampa found out that it wasn't easy because then now you get Eric Zire, Sean King, Brad Johnson, Rob Johnson, Gradkowski, Garce. Like, I can go on and on. I, I can't remember who all played quarterback in Tampa. But none of them were... I don't think they were more talented than Dilfer, but they just weren't Trent Dilfer. So I think they were accepted a little bit more.
0: I wanted more on this, but just as an aside, what happened to Eric Zaire? I always kind of liked him.
1: Yeah, Sean King. Zaire yeah. was Zaire would have been the quarterback, but Sean King was the guy that got drafted in the, I think, second round. And so it was like, eh, why are we playing Zaire? Uh, he's kind of, you know, the middle-aged dad guy. He's going ball. Let's let's put the young guy in there.
0: All right, some some hair shaming in that one. Um but the, the, the Sean thing though is is a really interesting way to look at it because back then 20 years ago it's like hey, let's let's put in this, you know, people were just not ready to sign off on the Michael Bishop types, you know. It was right. it was the hybrid quarterback, yes, generally black quarterback and you know, with with Sean it was can this guy bring a dimension that Trent isn't bringing? And then I mean the oddity is that it that it ends up I don't know, like Trent, it was just, it was over for Trent. Like Trent kind of had to get out of there, I think, because of years, the stuff that was going on before you were even there. Your first year was 99, right? Correct. Okay, but it's just, it's got to be so taxing. Because like my whole thing is, you can't just bench everybody all the time, okay? Like it's week three, Philly has money invested in this guy. Wentz looks terrible, but yeah, if it were Foles, that's different, but you can't just bench everybody because then if you bench everybody and then two weeks later, then what? You know what I mean? You could be writing off a season. And especially in that division, I don't think you want to do that right now. But what is it like to be in the locker room, especially when your side of the de- your, you know, side of the ball, the defense is so good, where every week it's kind of a debate. I'm just going to imagine that certain certain chances it can be draining, and then maybe other teams are just built different and where they don't have to worry about it all the time.
1: Well, it, it can be draining, and it can create a lot of animosity. We played for a defensive coach, too, in Tony Dungeon, so our defense was held to a high standard. After that game, we lost 17-14 to the Giants, where Trent basically accounted for all the points for the Giants, Tony came in the locker room on, um, or he came in the team meeting room on Monday, and he said, hey, defense not good enough. And it was the only time I saw Derek Brooks look at coach like he wanted to cuss. Because he was like, it's wow. not good enough. Like, And, dude, we were like, are you kidding us? <laughs> and, like, like, we couldn't understand that. But us playing for a defensive coach allowed us to always be pushed more and more. And so we were so focused on ourselves, we never really had an opportunity to focus on our offense or lack thereof. So I think that helped us. Now when Gruden came, and now we're playing for this offensive genius, you damn right, hey, we need some points. And Gruden held the offense the same way Dungy held the defense, which is, is the one thing I think kept the animosity out. And when Gruden came over, it kind of put the spotlight on the offense. So all the pressure we felt for all those years, now they felt it. And for us, it was kind of like a breath of fresh air because it's like, hey, you like I'm an offensive guy. This is what I do. But then Gruden kind of flipped the script back on us. He said, hey, you guys are so good. Why don't you score? You always complain about the offense scoring. How come you can't score on defense? And that year we scored nine touchdowns on defense and we won the Super Bowl. And so it, it was amazing how he kind of played those mental gymnastics with us while at the same time holding the offense's foot to the fire.
0: How, so Dungy and, and Gruden appears very different, then, right?
1: Not appear; they are very different,
0: right? Do, who does it? Did you? I mean, did you like Gruden more, or I mean, imagine you're more aligned with Dungy, considering his background?
1: More aligned with Dungy, Um I don't mind a coach that that's fiery, that cusses, that screams, that yells, that's emotional. Like that doesn't bother me. And in, in actuality, I think there's a place for that. So there were times where I enjoyed the differentness for, for lack of a better word of, of Gruden um, but I'm more aligned with Dungey because hey tell me what my job is give me give me the tools to do the job and allow me to do my job I don't need anybody screaming and yelling and you know doing all the things that most coaches do Gruden was a fiery guy. Uh, Gruden was a personality. I, I just want my coach to coach me and play football and, and teach me how to play football so overall aligned more with with uh, Dungey. But there were times where John Gruden uh, was the right guy for the job.
0: Okay. All right. That was good. All right. Josh Allen, I didn't think it was going to happen. I thought he had that Thanksgiving game against the Cowboys where he was really good. And then everybody started talking him up and then probably didn't watch him the rest of the season. And to see him doing this, and yeah, I know they almost blew the lead and everything. And I don't love that P.I. call there at the end, which would have led to a great Rams comeback. But whatever it is, three weeks in, it's far beyond what my expectations for Allen were so how real do you think this first uh this first three weeks of the season is for him
1: I I think it's very real I think you look at a couple things is that the game is slowing down Josh Allen is always going to be a gunslinger you know people are going to compare him to Brett Favre and say he's got that that mentality and so you never want to take that out of him but what you want to try to do is harness it a little bit like hey guys this is not this is not the uh you know green white checker in the first quarter for a NASCAR term like Like, like let's idle this thing around coming out of turn four sometime. We don't have to kind of take the lead uh, every time. Their defense is the biggest difference in their team, though. Like, make no mistake about it. Josh Allen is playing well. Josh Allen has gotten better. Uh, He's finally got a number one receiver in Stephon Diggs. It's amazing what a quarterback can do when you have a guy you can trust to just throw it anywhere near him. He'll go get it. But Buffalo will go as far as Buffalo's defense can take them. Because in the AFC, eventually, if you're Buffalo, you, you got you to stop some combination of Ravens, Chiefs, Patriots with Cam, the way he's playing. At some point, you got to stop some combination of those three. Okay, some combination, which means their defense is going to have to carry a lot, a lot of water. And so uh, I trust their defense. Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier um, are really, really good. Edmonds, the linebacker, has got to continue to take the next step. But I do like where Buffalo is right now, and Allen is playing a big part, mainly because he's learning while winning. Like, he had every right to lose that game against the Rams based on some of the... Like, he... It was like YOLO Josh Allen from the playoff game. Like, he just throwing it, you know, and I'm like, come on, dude. Like, you got a 20-point lead. Like, Like, relax, okay? Like, take a knee, slide, you know, throw it in the stands, punt the football. But he hadn't learned that yet. But He was able to make those mistakes while still winning, which is the best kind of learning.
0: Okay, I started talking about the Saints a little bit earlier today. I had them go to the Super Bowl. I like their defense. Uh, I have not liked it after the first three weeks. I know a lot of the conversation down in New Orleans is around Breeze, and it is nationally. And, yeah, look, they lose a game that could have probably gone either way to this Packers team that's that's on fire. But have you had to change your thoughts on who the Saints can be at all this year?
1: Uh, No, not at all, because I, I, I do think that offensively, um, the Saints, when they get Michael Thomas back, will be what we've always known the Saints to be, which is a short to intermediate passing team, a team that relies on uh, very, very creative play calling, very timely play calling by Sean Payton, and an offense that uses the most accurate quarterback we've ever seen to run it in Drew Brees. Drew Brees is completing 70 percent of his passes this year. They went what thirteen and three. Guess guess what his number was last year. I know you don't. I, I don't like numbers, but just to make the point, seventy four. Seventy four. Guess what it was the year before. Seventy three. So he's not that far off from what he's always been. Okay, it's amazing how a national televised Monday night game and everybody's like, oh, look at Drew. He's done. Look at the air yards. Like, okay, give me a break. All right, no Michael Thomas. Who, who do you want to throw to? Emmanuel Sanders, who's coming off from an Achilles a couple years ago, who's not the same. OK, it's, it's Alvin Kamara and the game and the game really didn't do much on Monday night. The game did a little bit more yesterday and they still lost. The Saints biggest issue with Silo is defensively. They can't stop a nosebleed. All right. I'm going to use this stat tonight on Monday Night Countdown. In the last 17 drives that the New Orleans Saints defense has faced, just take a guess how many punts they forced.
0: How many? Oh, uh, I'm gonna guess it's like five. One. <laughs> what?
1: In the last 17 drives that the Saints defense have faced, it's one. Eight touchdowns, five field goals, one ended by half, one was a turnover on downs, and one punt. I, th- I think that that's 17. I may be missing one, but but there's only been one punt.
0: Right. The in the proof last is, 17. Right. Yeah, look, I brought up their defensive run here and I, I like their personnel. I liked who I thought they would be at the start of the year. So I'm I'm with you. I've already explained it to the audience listening here. I think the schedule will look back and say that was a pretty tough schedule. But for the concerns about Breeze, which I can understand that, you know, I don't think anybody says I prefer a guy that can't push the ball down the field. But without Thomas for two weeks and against the schedule, we may look back on it and say, you know what? That was a really, really tough start of the season. So yeah, I don't know. Um the Adam Gaze thing is something else I touched on because how bad it's been. Before we get to your thoughts on Gaze, because I can't imagine they're too hard to predict here. Um, what's the worst situation you've had where, you know, that felt like the coach was just dead man walking every single week? Oh, uh, I don't think you'd ever had it like with Gaze. I don't think you could ever have anything. No, I've, I've never had comparable. it
1: with Gaze, but uh, Tony's last year, I think we were nine and seven, and our defense was good, but you kind of felt it coming. Not as bad with Gates because we were still winning, but it was just ugly. The off, you know, offense was averaging twelve points a game, so you kind of knew. And and Tony was very loyal; he wouldn't fire, you know, Mike Schuler early on. And then we 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 went from Mike Schuler to Les Steckle to Clyde Christensen. like you talk about offensive innovation, we didn't have any, and you, you kind of felt it coming. Um, my last year at LSU with Jerry Donato, like you, you could see the writing on the wall. Uh, Northern Italian guy in South uh, Louisiana just didn't fit. So those are the two instances where even the players on the team kind of sat around and waited. And we didn't watch Twitter back then. We just kind of waited on the phone call you know, to see what was going to happen, had the coach gotten fired, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, it, it, it's not a good feeling, I can, I, I can only imagine. Um, but if you look at the New York Jets, you look at the Atlanta Falcons, and if you're a player on that team, every time you know somebody texts your phone or calls you, you, you got to kind of wonder, man, did something just happen? Or if there's a call from the facility, you're wondering, oh, did it just happen? Because those are two situations where even I myself as an analyst who, who's watching the game, I wonder how Adam Gase and Dan Quinn still have the job right now as we're recording this at 1 o'clock. I, I, I honestly wonder.
0: The only thing I can think of is that I, I think everyone likes Quinn. I don't know that I hear the same things about Gase. You know, where what
1: does liking Quinn have to do with it though? I mean,
0: oh, I think it makes it tougher on the owner. That's all. That's all I'm saying. It just makes right it makes it tougher in the room where Gase. I think it's easier to just say, all right, later, man.
1: Well, I I think you make a good point when you look at Dan Quinn, twenty-eight-three, twenty to nothing against the Cowboys yesterday. You're up, and you look like to me he's the common denominator based on what's happened. And then on on top of that, here's the thing I I think a lot of people are missing. When you have a coach that's making the decisions and we're losing, we're blowing leads, now as a player, I'm second-guessing every decision he makes. And that's not good when you're trying to get everybody on the same page. So I think if you're Arthur Blank, you couple that with the fact that Arthur Blank had to come out and make a statement at the end of 2019 that we're keeping Dan Quinn. Now there are more questions. It almost reminds me of the whole Les Miles thing, remember we, we, they, they were going to fire less going to fire less we're going to keep less and then you fire less after three games or yeah. four games whatever it was no no it's, it's like,
0: good it's a very good comp yeah
1: right right it's like okay we should have fired him last year and now we're just going to do it at the first chance we get now
0: yeah now that's good yeah I, look i'm i'm with you liking someone doesn't have anything to do with the evaluation but it has a lot to do with the decision i mean it's just that's that's life more with booger mcfarland including uh lsu's bad day but first this season is going to look a little different as we already know many fans won't be watching in the stadium or bars but from home if you're a cord cutter or you don't have some special sports package, that means resorting to streaming football through some sketchy illegal streaming site. Fortunately, Miller light had an idea how to bring the game to everyone. So get this Miller light actually trolled fans looking for illegal streams during week one by creating a bunch of streaming lookalike sites that fooled people into thinking they were actually watching the game. These fake sites turned out to be an insane ad for something called the Miller light antenna. It's a real can of Miller light with a digital TV antenna. So people can watch football with their friends. Um, it's huge. People, uh, people really it was a real real hit the other night you had some friend zones over and we were um you know they were like you don't have any beer here and i said well there's one in the in the bottom of that drawer and they were like okay but wait is that a miller light i'm like yeah but it's more than a miller light it's a Cantenna." and they were very excited and then somebody opened it so now it's just a empty one Wow. This easy-to-use digital TV antenna does more than bring fans to the game. It creates more time for Miller time because when you aren't focused on finding illegal streams or worrying about your bank account being hacked, you can just be yourself with friends. There you go. The Miller Lite antenna. Stop clicking around and start watching football with friends because when it's game time, it's Miller time. If you want to try to grab one of these for yourself, go to MillerLiteCantena.com to enter for your chance to watch high-definition football on a beer. No purchase necessary. Starts 9-11-20, ends 10-12-20 at 1159 59 p.m. Central time. Must be legal resident of the 50 U.S. states and D.C. 21 years of age or older. Cantenas are only available to residents of Colorado, D.C., Florida, Idaho, Louisiana, Mississippi, Nebraska, Nevada, New York, North Carolina, South Carolina, and South Dakota and Wisconsin. Void were prohibited. See official rules at MillerLightCantena.com for entry instructions, prizes, restrictions, etc. Okay, the Steelers are 3-0. and Giants Broncos Texans who are the Steelers
1: Steelers are another team that I, I should have mentioned when I talked about Buffalo because if Ben Roethlisberger stays healthy Chase Claypool uh, who's a freak he's a rookie has no idea what he's doing he's their receiver number 11 6 4 I hear you yeah exactly I hear who's whose receivers coach there says that he can be as good as anybody and he's just a baby and and if they, if he de- eventually develops into the number one, which I think is going to happen, now Juju is the one B, maybe two, because I don't think Juju's a one. I, I don't think Juju's a guy that you can put out there and say, okay, there's Patrick Peterson, go beat him. There's uh, Jalen Ramsey, go beat him. I, I, I don't think Juju's that guy. I think Juju's, Juju did a great job of living underneath the Antonio Brown umbrella. And we're going to find out this year now that he has big Ben back, because last year, I can't really judge him with Duck Hodges. No no disrespect to Duck Hodges, but hey, just, just it, not It didn't feel
0: respectful, but I get you. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: mean, that's just, I, I'm, I'm just no, I hear not, you, you know. Uh, but Steelers are good. Rossillo, their defense may be the best defense in football. Watt, Dupree, Bush, is there a better trio of inside-outside linebackers in football than Watt, Dupree, Bush? I can't think of one, okay? Uh, to it, Hayward up front, pretty pretty good. They got the same five top defensive backs they had last year. Back this year, it's the first time that's happened in I think four or five years. Their defense is legit. Um, you know, Mika Fitzpatrick. Everybody criticized the trade. You know, you lose the quarterback, you go trade for a safety. Hmm, what is Kevin Colbert doing? Kevin Colbert, who is a GM there, is as good as there is. So long-winded answer, man. It wouldn't surprise me if you closed my eyes right now and woke me up mid January and say who's who's in the AFC Championship game and it's Pittsburgh Buffalo. It's Pittsburgh since uh excuse me, uh, Kansas City. It's Pittsburgh Baltimore. Like it it, it wouldn't shock me because they're in the, they're in the conversation depending upon health and what happens, they're going to be right there when it's all said and done.
0: Can I back up a little bit? Are you saying that Claypool you see him projecting as the one and Juju is is not a 2, but you think Claypool has a chance to give you more than Juju is basically what I just heard there.
1: Yes. I, I think eventually Claypool has the skills to give you more because he's got what Juju doesn't have, which is four, four speed. And so he's always going to have the ability to be a big play. Juju doesn't threaten me to run by me. Okay. Like if if, if, if I'm Patrick Peterson, I'm sitting on everything Juju does. If I'm Ramsey, I'm sitting because he, I'm not afraid of him running by me. There, are, you are afraid of six four two thirty running by you. So therefore, I think that the ceiling is a lot higher. Now he has a long way to go. As as the receiver coach, I told me you he's got a long way to go. But the ceiling for Claypool, I think, is higher than what Juju has shown us so far.
0: So I love Claypool all year, and every time I felt like I looked at, and there was a crazy deep wide receiver draft where eventually a lot of those guys ended up feeling like they went later than we thought they were going to go with all the projections leading up to it, and. I don't know. I seeing him be good and seeing him go in the second round and I it's just one of those moments where you go, How is how is it that you feel like you're the only person watching? There's just a couple other guys um that that would text me that would listen to the podcast and be like, I love him too. I love him too. I don't really get it. And yet, uh you know, maybe it's just because this guy like Judy and C D and all these other dudes where if it were a weaker class, Claypool probably goes in the first round. But these first three weeks, they don't seem like a surprise. Like this isn't a mistake at all, at least for those that watch them at Notre Dame.
1: If I gave you a chance right now, and I know we're three weeks in to redraft the wide receivers from the last year's draft. So you got Judy, Ruggs, Rager, Jefferson, Claypool. Who would you take first?
0: Well, I'm not going to give up on CD Lamb after 3 weeks. I I can't I can't he's still my favorite from the class because I think there was some some stuff in him that was a little different from other guys I saw. Um so I would still take CD but you know, look I didn't even think, like I always like chase more than Jefferson at LSU and granted Chase is a year behind, so the Jefferson love and we just saw his big play. Uh, and he's put up huge numbers. I mean, I imagine you're probably saying what Jefferson second. I, I don't even know if I want to go. Cause I feel like it's too early, but you seem like you want to turn the whole thing upside down.
1: No. Um, I don't think I would take rugs where like rugs to me, although I think he has big play potential and he's shown that I think CD lamb would probably be one. I'd probably go Jefferson two. Um, Rager Play- would probably fall behind Claypool. I, I'd, I'd have Claypool higher. Like, Rager, and I get he's been hurt or whatever, but I, I mean, it it almost seemed like Philly was reaching just to get a fast guy.
0: What about Judy? We left Judy out.
1: Yeah, like, Judy. Judy's going to be judged based on the guy throwing the football. Like, he can't throw it and catch it, you know? Yeah. So, he, he's got to – you know, Drew Locke's got a. you know, the shoulder, and now he's dealing with Driscoll and I can't – whoever the other guy they put in there yesterday. Like, he Ripping. was not good. Yeah, him too. Rippin. Is that... That's not Mark Rippin's
0: like, I think it's a tickets. nephew.
1: Okay.
0: All right. I'll, I'll get IT to say, on I mean, that. I got you. <laughs> I love IT. <laughs> what, IT were you, what were you about to say?
1: No, I, I'll keep that. Like When you said... <laughs> first of all, when, when you said IT, I'm assuming you're talking about Google.
0: Yeah, it's a joke. It's actually... <laughs> It was a Chris Long and I joke, so he deserves the credit for it. So if you ever hear him saying it, he deserves he deserves the credit. We just used to always love whenever we were stuck on something, we'd be like, we get it on that. Yeah, it's uh he Brett Rippin. Um, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah, he's he's Mark Ripon's nephew. So yeah, whatever. Yeah. I caught I caught a decent enough chunk of that game. I don't know why. I guess I wanted to watch Brady. A little bit more that's your neck of the woods because i have a couple other questions not related to this give me your tampa and brady and the whole thing by the way the the gronk stuff i watched him very closely yesterday i thought he looks like he looks great he's running around great so i'm not i'm not worried about that i and when arian said you know it's not like he's running past everybody and you're like well that's not what he's necessarily does i thought he looked pretty crisp yesterday so i don't know give me your thoughts on tampa
1: um tampa's defense is ahead of their offense and their offense looked pretty good yesterday Todd Bowles is underrated. He'll get head coach consideration after the season. Tom Brady, for as much disrespect as we give Drew Brees, I I, I think we don't give enough respect to Brady and what he's done with his body and how physically um, gifted he still looks at almost 45. Is Tom Brady older than you, by the way?
0: No, I always know exactly how old he is because we're close to having the same birthday. So I got two years on him.
1: So you're 45, he's 43. Yeah. Okay. Um, he he looks outstanding.
0: Um, well, he's not a big he's like a pliability guy. So I'm going to go too far. But yeah, he's kept himself in good shape. Well, I mean,
1: I, first of all, pliability is one thing. Being able to succeed at it is another. I'm um, <laughs>
0: just, just being it punk.
1: <laughs> if Tom Brady can stay healthy, people laugh when I say this. These are the best weapons he's ever, he's ever had. I don't care. Don't talk to me about Wes Walker, Randy Moss. I, I, listen. For as great as Randy Moss is...
0: That oh seventeen 7 team, man, I don't know.
1: Okay, listen. For as great as Randy Moss is, the drop-off between Randy Moss and whoever the second-best weapon on on the Patriots team is far greater than the drop-off from Mike Evans to Chris Godwin to O.J. Howard to Cameron Brake to uh, Rob Gronkowski, if, if you follow me there.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's Welker though. I mean, that's the that's the problem. It's Welker. It's your man Kevin Falk. I can't believe you disrespect him out of the backfield Chris like that. Chris
1: Godwin. Chris Godwin. Like, I realize he doesn't have the stats that West Welker has, but like, if, if you put the if you look at what they did, I mean, Chris Godwin is basically Julian Edelman, who was basically West Welker. I mean, they're, they're all doing the same thing. They're, they're working underneath. They're being Tommy's security blanket, and that's what Godwin is going to start to develop into. But Godwin has another dimension that he can take it to the house too.
0: Yeah. No i I hear you. You know what else i've I've loved is this this run of undersized white receivers. Um, Scotty Miller, your boy. Yeah. Checking in at five eleven. I feel like every time I w- I'm just clicking around on Sundays. I'm like, who's that guy? Like, oh. <laughs> think like he's five ten, and you know he wasn't drafted, and he just he got there on on guile alone. I don't know. I'm just no one's ready to do it. I'm not saying start prime time with is the NFL white wide receiver on the on the come up, um. But I'm just yeah, hold off on that for right now. But it's just something else. No, you know what they're gonna
1: have though is what? you know you, you know how in the off season everybody's doing like a a pass rush summit, an old lineman camp, like all the all the guys are getting together. <laughs> Scotty Miller, Cole Beasley. Julian Edelman, uh, they're all going to get together and do like, hey, if you want to be irrelevant and rich, come work out with us in the off season. because these dudes, they may not get the household, like they may not be the household names or get all the accolades, but Scotty Miller uh, is Adam Humphreys the, the, the uh, another guy that was in that category.
0: Well, we got Andy uh, Isabella over the There Cardinals. you go, you mask yeah.
1: baby.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, because he's out there just trying to get it done. I, I gotta I gotta check and see what the numbers are for him right now. Um, all right, six catches, six catches, couple TDs, though. That's why. Andy Isabella 5'9 yeah, to five that. nine, one eighty eight. I don't know if he's well, actually, he is kind of <laughs> yoked up a little bit.
1: Oh, um,
0: Cooper Cup. I mean, he doesn't. To me, Cooper's like straight up a stud. Um, there's another dude that I'm forgetting. This is an unbelievable segment, though. I'm I'm glad we we got to this.
1: They can have a convention and just <laughs> if if you're if you're between five nine and five eleven, because if you get over six feet, then you're gonna graduate into a different category. But yeah, five nine, right. and five eleven, you have to be able to play the slot. Like the slot is a prerequisite. You cannot be. And, and X, you have to be a slot guy so you can work underneath smart, heady. I can use all the adjectives that go with the white receiver. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a great idea.
0: Yeah, I think, I think you're onto something. Hoodies alone fits. Okay. <laughs> What's this been like for you, man? Primetime is a legendary show. You're sitting next to a legend in Chris Berman and just jumping in. Get, go wherever you want with this. But I, I want to know how it feels and what it's been like for you.
1: You know what, man? Boom has been really cool, Chris Berman. Um, you know, this opportunity came about just at really at the last moment. Uh, I, I think in this time where we are, you know, TJ has been and sat in that seat for, what, 20 years. It's it's synonymous. It's an iconic show. And when I think, you know, when health concerns and COVID and all that came up, um, I was very fortunate to get the opportunity. You know, I talked to him. Boom. Everybody calls like, hey, man, we want you to do this. Um, you know, TJ is like giving me this blessing and do. I don't usually get nervous when it comes to TV, like TV radio is just like, OK, I'm just being myself because I, I, I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm comfortable doing that. Like I was literally nervous when the show started, the very first one, A, because I like I really had no idea how this whole digital streaming stuff works. Like I, I honestly thought and I haven't told anybody this. I thought we were recording the show and was going to post it later. I didn't realize that we were streaming the show live. <laughs> honestly, I honestly had no idea until somebody was like, somebody texted me and was like, hey, man, good show. I'm like, how the hell did you see that so fast? And then it kind of hit on me like, was this live? And I asked somebody like, yeah, dude, that's the whole deal about streaming. It just goes to show you I don't watch much on apps. Like, I'm still a cable direct TV guy. I don't stream much. Like, I, I during this whole pandemic, Netflix changed my life. I finally watched uh, Breaking Bad. First time I've ever seen it. Or whatever, and I thought it was the greatest show alive. Breaking Bad, I, I'd never seen it. All right, um okay. And so, Boomer really, really made me feel very comfortable. I was nervous the first segment. It's a great show. It's forty-eight to fifty minutes of continuous highlights. It's fun, and I enjoy working with people who enjoy doing what they do. And he really, really, after all these years—forty years with the company—really enjoys doing the things that he does. And for me, it's another opportunity to be on another platform. You know, there's so many different things that are being cut back in America, TV rights, et cetera. The one thing that I think a lot of companies, including ours, are pouring funds into is digital and streaming rights. And that's been really, really cool for me to kind of get on that platform. So I got a little, I'm doing a little college, a little pro, a little streaming. Dude, it's it's fun. Um, The smile comes on my face every time I'm on TV and I'm really enjoying it.
0: What's it been then like for you post Monday Night Football? Because it got pretty rough there at the end. You know what? It, it it's
1: been really, really cool, man, because I always look at the criticism and how, how you get it, which is mainly social media. Social media is a vocal minority. And I've never really cared much about the vocal minority. Um, I didn't get the job through the vocal minority. I didn't lose it through the vocal minority. I think that, you know, our company. Based on where we are with NFL rights, trying to get a Super Bowl, et cetera, et cetera, they are trying their best to continue to land what I call the white whale. You know, Peyton Manning, Tony Romo, like they—they are trying to do whatever, and and that's their right. You know, um, they gave they they gave Tess and I run. They didn't feel like it worked out, so we move on. So I don't really—that's kind of how I look at it. Like I've been at the company long enough, and I've held, but one two. I've held about five jobs at this company, from the SEC Network to ABC to now primetime, to Monday Night Camel. Like I've been in enough forums uh, on our platform to know that there's so many different things you can do, whether or not you are good or great at, 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 at all of them ultimately, ultimately determines the opportunities that you get. And I must be doing some, right? Cause I've been given a lot of opportunities and most of them um, have been kind of handpicked. So I, I feel really good about that.
0: You can check out Primetime on ESPN+. Plus. And before I let you go, i got to ask you about LSU. It appears that having no players back from the title-winning team is potentially challenging. And yet, when I watch that game, when they lose, and maybe you set me straight, but like Allie Gay off the end, and then um, Damone Clark, 18, and then I, I'm i trying to like go through the 2D pier, of all the guys I liked. I mean, obviously, Jacoby Stevens is one. And then um, Ricks, the corner, who's one of the top recruits, makes that big pick. And you're thinking, OK, well, wait a minute. There, there are still guys here. It's still LSU. And then Costello puts up 600 passing yards on him. So what did you see?
1: Well, I saw a bunch of young guys that in their first game experience, um, they didn't play well. They momentum kind of got the best of them. and. I think that's to be expected. Normally, that's against uh, Northwestern State, and you kind of get that out of the way. It just having to be against Mississippi State. That's number one. Secondly, I, I, I think a bigger issue was Bo Pelini, the defensive coordinator, because and, and and I haven't talked to Bo, and so maybe I'm maybe this is the wrong for me to do this, but from a football standpoint, here's what I know: the definition of insanity, and not just in football, in life, is to do the same thing over and over and expect a different result, especially when it's not working. And if you look at Bo Pelini, man-to-man coverage was not working. All Mike Leach did was say, oh, you're going to play man, tight man? We're going to run cross and routes and fades. That's all they did. And LSU did not make an adjustment um, at all. And I think that goes to coaching. The players do not call the plays. I expected both Pelini and, and coach to, to switch it up, play some zone. Like, give these guys a break. This is their first game ever. And so I, I got to think there's some there's some real heart-to-heart talks going on behind the scenes about how we bring these young guys along, what kind of defense are we going to play, especially with No Stingley being there. He was out. I know he'll be back. So that was the that was the biggest takeaway. Miles Brennan, he's not Joe Burrow. Uh, Joe Brady's not there, so maybe you lose a little bit of creativity. But guess what? Steve Insming is there, who called the plays. Scott Linehan is there, who has a lot of pro experience, like the coaching staff is still pretty much there. you got to be able to use what you have to to cook the meal. You know, I think that's the sign of a great coach. We had a lot of success last year, maybe the greatest offense ever. Okay, turn the page. Now, how do we make this team competitive? How do we win with this team? And I think that's the challenge for the team and the challenge for Coach Ogeron, the challenge for Inzminger. More importantly, the challenge for Fellini because you don't have the the first-round picks at corner just yet. Like, these kids are young. And I think Pelini's got to do a better job, and Coach O's got to supervise it. Uh, how do we improve from game one to game two using what we have? And I can't wait to watch, because if it doesn't get any better, big guy, think about this. Ole Miss, Lane Train is throwing it around. Trask is a potential first- or second-round pick at quarterback. Matt it's. Jones looks the part. Um, Jimbo is an offensive wizard-like. It doesn't get any easier after you get past Vanderbilt, Missouri, and hell, and I'm not—I'm not so sure Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt and Missouri are going to be pushovers the next two weeks. So um, this ten-game SEC schedule is both a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing for COVID and the ability to limit um, the, the 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 virus, but man, it is a curse because you are about to get hit with good skilled players every week.
0: My man. That's Burger McFarlane. I'll still be making the Bama trip. Uh, there was some question. They were like, Dude, are you going to cancel now after the Mississippi State game? And I was like, nope. But we'll see because it was uh, definitely more of like a spring game atmosphere there. But I don't I don't really disagree with anything you said there. Hey, enjoy the season again. Primetime ESPN Plus, Burger McFarlane, Chris Berman. And it's been a lot of fun to watch. And I'm really happy for you, man. So we'll talk soon, all right?
1: Appreciate it, man. Take it easy. And the last thing I add, I know you're at home. Can we get a picture on the wall somewhere? I'm looking around behind you. Can it's a new we house. Do anything? Dude, just put something on the wall. Put a, Hey, go the old school college route. Just put a towel on the wall. Like, do something, dude.
0: Little, yeah. No, I actually asked, but that's, that's over in the weight room. We've got a full weight room here. Um, and I asked the guys at LSU, I said, can you get me some sort of flag or something like that? Um, but yes, the walls are bare. But I'm going to tell you right now, that's, that's because we're all kind of products of how we grew up. And my mother was a bit of a hoarder. And so there was always stuff. There was always stuff everywhere. So once I got to adult range, I always realized I don't want anything. I want functionality. I want Japanese. I think it's called Japanese minimalist, where I just want everything in the room has to be there for a reason to function. Yeah. And so I don't like people that want to put up extra furniture or put things on shelves and little trinkets and all that stuff. I hate all of that stuff. Now, I'm not against art. I'm not against a nice painting or something or a picture but um this oh. room just got redone this doom this room was like this storage a week ago so we're uh, we're ready to roll
1: yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> oh, I dude
0: uh hey you know what i'll 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 uh, i'll text you later man thank you very much appreciate it before we finish the podcast with life advice i want to remind you about state farm because now it's time for the state farm surprisingly great segment of the week getting great car and home insurance from State Farm at a surprisingly great, rate. That's like Josh Allen in his ascent going into the season. All right, if you look at who he was last year, uh, yards per attempt, he was in the bottom third. Completion percentage was 59%. That was the worst. His rookie year was actually 53%. I mean, he was the worst of all qualifying quarterbacks at completion percentage. I mean, it's crazy that back in the day when I was a kid, if you completed 60%, that was considered awesome. He was at 58.8% in 2019. And that was the worst. Well, this year he's at 71% of his completions. Uh, The average yards per attempt has gone from six, six and a half ish to nine. The touchdown interception ratio, 10 touchdowns, 12 picks first year, 20 touchdowns, nine picks last year. Now his touchdown interception ratio is 10 to one. So the yardage is up. The completions are way up. The decision-making is way up. He's getting sacked. I don't know about the same amount. So We'll uh, leave some room for improvement there and we'll see how uh, the rushing attempts shake out throughout the rest of the season. So there you go. State Farm agents provide personal service so you can customize your insurance to fit your needs like a GM putting together their very own roster. You need a team that supports you and State Farm's got a great one. In addition to agents, the award winning mobile app helps manage coverage, pay bills, file claims and more with a great price and even greater service. State Farm goes from strength to strength. Josh Allen from weakness to strength from years one, two, and now into three. Choose insurance that always brings its A-game, whether you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
1: You want details? Fine. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible.
0: Let me tell you what's required. Alright, here we go. Uh, let's do uh, one life advice. Life advice rr at gmail.com. Okay, a little, uh, little stuff here at the top. Um, let's. Uh, he gives me his background, but that's not really what's important here. He goes, alright, long story short, me and my family are sick of the crap. One of my brother-in-laws, let's call him Jordan, is pulling on my sister. Let's call her Marie. I hope those are not their real names. It all goes back to when they first started dating 12 years ago and he caught by my sister living a double life, dating multiple women simultaneously. Well, using fake names, it got to the point that she was preparing to contact the authorities about his immigration status. Oh he moved to the USA from Nigeria for school and has been here for nearly twenty years. Um, because there were some things she knew about that at the time he was loosely in violation of. All right. So he was he was breaking the law on top of breaking hearts. They worked their stuff out, got back together and got engaged, married shortly after. Over the years, he's increasingly had excuse after excuse to never come to any family event. He takes time off from work to visit friends all over the country often, but will never take time off uh, to come to any holiday event despite all of his planning around his schedule. In the last few years, Marie has dealt with pretty severe anxiety over Jordan's habits and he's done very little to help her. He will never be transparent with what he does or where he goes and immediately leads to insecurities based on his past of not being faithful to her. Marie has been seeing a therapist for quite some time, but he refuses to join her Despite her asking him to Maria's come come um, an incredibly long way in her personal life, both spiritually and emotionally, without any help from Jordan. All right. This is we already know where this is going. Um, in more recent months, some shady stuff has come about regarding Jordan. No shit one of marie's friends found an instagram account that jordan has of which marie and the rest of our family is blocked from seeing or messaging okay and, and some investigating marie found an instagram fitness models account that jordan's been interacting with with frequently and gets defensive over so the the your sister the wife goes to her husband and is like why are you interacting with this fitness model ig account and he gets mad at you um and oh by the way marie is also blocked from this fitness models account all right Uh, A few weeks ago, Marie and Jordan went on a weekend trip to Nashville. A few days after returning from the trip, Marie realized she forgot to mention an issue with something in their room. All right. So she calls the hotel back to let them know when she called back. They asked her which reservation she was talking about because there was one from their stay the previous weekend and one for the following weekend, too. They had her information connected with Jordan's credit card from the previous day. Just so happened Jordan had visited. Been visiting a friend in Arizona, but we suspect now that he was in Nashville again. What leads you to that? The hotel room reservation at the same hotel in Nashville that your sister wasn't at? Um, at the same time as the second resident. Even bigger coincidence, the Instagram model happened to have a story on her account showing the lobby of the exact same hotel. I don't even know what you're asking me here at this point, because we already know the answer. Marie asked Jordan for some sort of proof, a flight, a ticket, uh, Anything that could prove he was actually in Arizona and he refused to provide anything because he doesn't have anything. All right. There's been some conversation between myself and our two other sisters about what we should do. Okay. If anything, we always try to stay out of each other's business uh, unless they ask for help, but this is getting to be way too ridiculous to leave it be. I agree. How should I react to this? uh, How should I react to the situation as the only brother in the family? To what degree should I try to comfort or confront him about this nonsense? I don't want to be the one to stir things up, but all my family's fed up with this crap and someone needs to call him out. Um, either on a potential affair was pure ignorance of my sister. Any advice is greatly appreciated. That's from Ricky, not his real name. Okay. That sucks, man. I mean, it really sucks when your sisters are getting screwed over, um, and this isn't just some guy she's dating. This is somebody she's married to. So clearly there's some feelings here. So you always have to worry about like, okay, your sister's going through this stuff. But does she care about this guy and trying to salvage it more than she cares about common sense? Because common sense tells you this guy's a total, total piece of shit. Um, but we, we don't, we, we know like anybody that's like, oh, I'm blocked on this thing. Well, why would your husband ever block you from looking at any set? Like, why do guys have second accounts? Okay. Problem flag. He's blocked from the account flag a fitness model blocked me who I don't know flag. Um, he already did this before double life flag. Like he can't handle, he can't do the thing that, that you need to do if you're going to settle down. Right. And everybody kind of goes their separate ways. And I shouldn't say everyone. So I I just don't want to like, look, there's plenty of relationships out there where people grow apart and you start doing, but this guy from day one was wired this way and your sister still took it back on. So now it gets kind of like your role. Like, what are you supposed to do as the guy? Because Okay, as a a brother to a couple sisters, and I I understand kind of where you're going from, like you always, like I initially would always want to be the tough guy about it. Okay, I would want to go and pull the guy aside and say, I'm going to beat your fucking head in. If you keep doing this to my sister and yes i would say that i'm sorry if it sounds immature or whatever but then as you get older you realize you know what my sister's the one that's putting herself in this situation okay so 20 year old me would have said something like that and wanted to feel cool about it too and older me would go to my sister first and say what do you want this to be like what is your goal because if your goal is to get him to change his ways and to be with you all the time." then that's an unobtainable goal that goal is not going to happen this guy now has a this isn't a screw up it um in key west with the buddies this isn't fl- being flirty and texting with the golf cart girl because sh- you're texting her to make sure you have a couple Michelob ultras ready later on at the turn and then it, the next thing you know you're like hey, why are you, why is the golf cart girl texting you at night um You know, sometimes these guys will do this thing where there's this emotional thing. I mean, look, women do it, too. But I'm, again, only speaking as as a man here with it. But what you really probably need to do is you probably could confront him once and not be a tough guy about it. Be like, hey, look, here are the facts. Here's what's going on. What's your plan here? Because you wrecking my sister and giving her anxiety is not helping anybody. And that's why he doesn't show up, because he either feels guilty or he doesn't like any of you. He certainly doesn't respect any of you. So I think you could have it out with him once, because that's the other thing that is starting to piss me off more in life is that. Everybody's about taking the high road and not calling anyone out. And that's why I think the assholes keep winning because you're like, Hey, there's all these people in my industry that do all these shitty things behind the scenes. And I hear about them all the time. And then I see them on social media talking about like how they support each other at work. And it just isn't true. And then everybody's like, Oh, you're the best. It's like, no, you go be like, Oh, you're so there for this. I'm like, Oh, and then I just know, but like, actually this person hates this person. This person tried to get this one fired. This person wants that one's job. And no one ever calls anyone out because that's not the right thing to do. But because no one calls anyone out, people are more empowered to keep acting like assholes to each other. So. I think for your own, the fact that you emailed me like this is bothering you enough that I I endorse you saying and not being a tough guy about it, but just saying, look, what, why are you doing this to my sister? Like, just, just, you know, you don't want to do this, though. I think you got to talk to her first because you don't want to say to him, be like, hey, just end it. If this is if this is your routine, then you need to end it. But you can't you can't do that before you talk to your sister. Ask your sister. See how she feels. Ask what I don't know what the hell her answers are going to be here with this. Obviously, she likes this guy. But the sad thing about all of this, like the conclusion that I would come to is that ultimately like her life is her life and it can bum everyone else out. It can bum out your entire family and it should because that sucks, man. I do not even like reading that. But if your sister decides to continue to stay in the relationship, that's ultimately what she wants to do and it's her life. And you'll have to come to some point and maybe it'll be closure for you to say how you feel to the guy, look him in the eyes, tell him he's a piece of shit. And then if he stays with your sister, he stays with your sister. It wasn't like he was hanging out anyway, so you're not ruining any dynamic. And continue to not like the guy. Because I would continue to not like the guy if he was doing this to my sister the rest of his life. And there you go. But at least you said it to him once. You ask your sister. But your sister ultimately is the one to blame for staying in the relationship. Because she, I mean, this is, this is indisputable stuff. The hotel thing with the Instagram model? I mean, give me a break so and in the future uh include all handles of instagram models that we were inst- uh, investigating here <laughs> please all right <laughs> make sure you subscribe rate and review to the ryan rusillo podcast sorry about the swearing there but you know as a guy who has sisters sometimes i get worked up about that stuff all right we'll talk to you this week